Welcome to the Old Time Radio Hour on Sid Valley Radio. This is Sid Valley Radio. This week on the Old Time Radio Hour, we'll be listening to a half-hour comedy, followed by a 30-minute drama program. So, just sit back and relax. As we revisit the truly golden age of radio. Present Marion and Jim Jordan as Fibber McGee and Molly. With Donald Novis, the Four Notes, and Billy Mills Orchestra. The show opens with The Ladies in Love with You. determined to find out just what sort of guy he really is. Of course, he could ask people, but Fibber was never one to stick his neck out unnecessarily. So here in the living room at 79 Westful Vista, typing a letter to the famous handwriting analyst, Professor John Hancock, we find Fibber McGee and Molly. Bell on that typewriter, dearie. Yeah. Well, it used to belong to a sports writer. He used it at prize fights. I'm enclosing a coin in lieu of the 25 cents in stamps. Hey, Molly, how do you spell Lou? Lou who? <laughs> Not Lou anybody. I mean Lou, as in lieu of. Oh, that. L-O-O, McGee. Oh. <laughs> well, that's what I got. <laughs> Funny how you can spell a word correct and it still don't look right. Yeah. <laughs> Awaiting your immediate reply, I am yours truly, Fibber McGee. <laughs> now, let's see. I'll have to enclose a sample of my handwriting. Come in. Fibber McGee? <laughs> you betcha, bud. Do you need a gag writer? No, we don't. <laughs> oh, no? You think he got us confused with somebody else, Molly? No, I think we got him confused with us <laughs> What do you expect this handwriting expert to tell you, dearie? Well, I'll bet he tells me that I'm the creative type, Molly A dreamer Oh, how wonderful Being a dreamer and still able to do things <laughs> Do you think so? Yes, anyone who can dream and snore at the same time <laughs> Gee, I wonder if that's an answer from the handwriting expert. Why, you haven't mailed your application yet. Oh, that's right. Come in. Ah, there, Dropstick. Oh, hi, Boomer. Good day to you, my dear. Just dropped in with a little proposition. Splendid investment. I plan to open a small casino on the outskirts of town where an adventuresome citizen may do his best to repeal the laws of chance. Oh, a gambling place. We wouldn't be interested, Mr. Boomer. It's again the law. What a coincidence. So am I. 
I have the floor plans right here. Plan to call it the safety pin. Safety pin? Oh, I get it. Every time it opens, somebody gets stuck. <laughs> don't you get it, Boomer? I says every time. Sorry, we don't pay off on double zero. Now, <laughs> where oh, I put those floor plans? Floor plans. Here's a heavy rubber band. Found it in an overcoat in a restaurant. Round roll of bills. <laughs> Little dandy glass cutter, very therapeutic for jewelry store windows. Minor operation and the pain is gone. <laughs> Pair of white gloves, ducky, aren't they? Made by the Snow White Glove Company. Guaranteed not to leave your prints. Well, well, imagine that. No floor plan. <laughs> Wait till the wheels stop spinning, my dear. How I put those floor plans? Here's a gold-plated shoe horn. Very useful. Never know when some heel is going to get in a tight spot. <laughs> ah, what's this? An invitation to an art exhibit. <clears throat> Must drop in and see the new sculpture. Always like to know what the other chiselers are doing. <laughs> Elk's tooth needs brushing. Maybe Bob Hope would give it a guest appearance. <laughs> Greetings, chum. Let's eat them. <laughs> Small revolver. Dangerous little weapon. An old friend of mine was shot with this six times. My mistake, five times. <laughs> well, well, imagine that. No floor plans. Wonder what could have happened to them. <laughs> Probably the same thing as the egg the little red hen dropped in the mud, Boomer. Not lost, just mislaid. <laughs> <laughs> Not a bad yoke if you could clean it up. <laughs> Good day, Timber Skull.
concert was Donald Novacing in a new moon and an old serenade. And Don is one creative artist to another. I can't speak too highly of your rendition. <laughs> well, thanks, Fibber. What have you created lately? Oh, he's creating an imaginary character of himself, Mr. Novus. He just mailed a letter to have his handwriting analyzed. <clears throat> yeah, you see, Don, I just want to verify everybody's opinion of me as being the artistic type. Oh, you know, sensitive and emotional and anesthetic. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Personally, I think it's a very valuable thing to get acquainted with yourself. Well, yes. Mm-hmm. But you meet an awfully lot of strange people that way. <laughs> See you later, folks. There's too many comedians on this show. Name one. <laughs> if I get any more ribs tonight, I'm going to open a barbecue joint. <laughs> Chuck, just because a guy wants to improve himself... Come in. Oh, how do you do, Mrs. Uppington? Oh, how do you do, Mrs. McGee? And Mr. McGee? Hi, Uppy. <laughs> I just popped in to inquire to know if you know who is the best interior decorator in town. Interior decorator? Yes, you see, I'm having my house done completely over. I want everything done in modern. You're doing what? No. <laughs> she means modern, dearie. Oh. You know, the kind of furniture that looks like it was designed by an acrobat and built by a geometry teacher. <laughs> Oh, but my dear, it is so effective. And my house does need decorating badly. Now, let me see. It hasn't been done completely over since... Um... Oh, dear, now, let me see. I think it was four years ago. No, five. Five years ago on my birthday. Oh. I had just turned 32. 32? <laughs> Careful there, Uppy. You took that turn awful fast. <laughs> She's well banked. Well, very amusing, I'm sure. <laughs> I'll tell you what, Uppy. I don't know where you could get any better advice on interior decoration than I could give you. Oh, really? Did you ever do any decorating, Mr. McGee? Did I? Remember that new ritzy residential suburb that was built a couple of years ago? Snob Hollow? Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, McGee designed every mustache on every billboard in the whole suburb. <laughs> yeah, I never know such a thing, Molly. I done the beards. <laughs> More tubes done the mustaches. He was taller than I was. <laughs> but frankly, Mrs. Uppington, I've always been interested in artistic things. Now, I think for your living room... Uh, you mean my drawing room? Yes, for your front parlor. <laughs> I do the upholstery insured mulberry transfers with a wide edging of penny point Cresnavets. Don't you think so, Molly? Well, uh, yes, if you're sure they'd go with the pastel botnitkin. <laughs> well, good heavens, really. I must be dreadfully behind the times. What on earth is a, a Bufnikin? <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's the latest thing in Davenskwaddles, Eppie. <laughs> but you can only use them in a room that has a large planetary completely around the crevice <laughs> Oh, my, I'm so glad to hear that. <laughs> Perhaps I'm just a silly girl, but if Bufnikins are the things, I shall insist on Bufnikins. <laughs> Well, I'll always be glad to help you, Uppy. That's characteristic of me. An artistic streak with a strain of the... Uh, of the... Uh... Just make it a strain, dearie. <laughs> well, I certainly will appreciate it so much. And, uh, oh, Mr. McGee, I do admire your artistic restraint. Restraint? Yes. <laughs> I see you've restrained yourself from doing anything artistic with this house. <laughs> oh, <laughs> Perhaps you found the, the Snitkins too ventiful for the creed walk of your particular upper stratohoot. <laughs> well, thank you so much. Uh, goodbye. <laughs> now, 
Elvis. I bet she didn't know what she was talking about. I didn't either. <laughs> Me too. Same here. Oh, hi, Harlow. Glad you came in. I just wrote for analysis of my handwriting. I want to see what it indicates besides initiative, imagination, and dramatic ability. Well, there's nothing like dramatic ability. The play's the thing. The show must go on. Yes, it show must. <laughs> what do you know about it, Harlow? You're the practical type. Full of hard facts, brass tacks, and Johnson's wax. <laughs> well, I've got imagination, too. Look, here's a little dramatic playlet I dashed off. What? Let's run through it and see how it sounds. Oh, sure. Look, here's a part for you, Fibber. Here's your part, Molly. Oh. I've got mine here. It's a one-act play laid in ancient Egypt. And something tells me you should have left it lay. <laughs> oh, now look. Molly, you play the part of Cleopatra. I'm Mark Antony. And Fibber, you're King Tut. On stage, everybody. Curtain. Music, maestro, please. Ah, there, Mark Anthony. Sit the dune. Slave, bring Mark Anthony a hunk of ambrosia and a slug of nectar. <laughs> Thanks, Tut. Well, nice pyramid you've got here. Oh, not bad. Still working on it, Cy. As a matter of fact, if you come back years later, you'll still find me all wrapped up in it. <laughs> I hope you got the flowers I sent you for Mummy's Day. <laughs> Shall we go on? <laughs> ah, come in, Cleopatra. Here's your Roman Romeo. Hi, Cleo. Hi, bud. <laughs> Say, Cleo, I saw you in your last picture, The Dance of the Seven Veils. And if you'll take my advice, you'll demand a recount. <laughs> Easy, Mark. I mean, uh... <laughs> None of your lip, Mr. Anthony. <laughs> well, come on, honey. Put your scarabs on and let's take a chariot ride. <laughs> I know a swell joint to eat in. It's called Nebuchadnezzar's Nook on the Nile. Oh, and, baby, you ought to taste their barbecued camel. Oh. oh, no, you don't. The last time one of you Romans took me for some barbecued camel, I had to walk back a mile. <laughs> Besides, I refuse to ride in that awful old dusty chariot of yours. Uh-oh, boy loses girl. Better get some yourself, Tut. <laughs> I'll do that, bud. But it's going to throw a lot of slaves out of work. Well, run along, kids, and have a good time. Okay, Pop. Come on, Cleo. I have to be back in Rome tomorrow. We're building a dam across the Tiber River. What's that for, Mark? To hold that Tiber. Hold that Tiber. Hold that Tiber. Hold that Tiber. Wasn't that realistic, dearie? Too. <laughs> Excuse me while I dump the sand out of me sandals. <laughs> oh, it wasn't bad, but the, that plot wasn't consistent. Crawl in. Oh, no, excuse me. I thought we were still in the pyramid. <laughs> Hello there, Johnny. Here's a letter for you. Well, thank you, old-timer. Are you a mailman now? Hey! <laughs> she said, are you a mail carrier now? I think it's a good job for you, old-timer. With your pigeon toes, you'd make a good carrier. <laughs> That's pretty good, Johnny. But that ain't the way I heard it. <laughs> the way I heard it, a moonshiner says to a revenue officer, Say, he you get the message I sent you about that still up on the ridge? 
Yep, says Revenuer, but I tore it up. I thought it was just another mash note. <laughs> I know that mountain country pretty well, Johnny. Been up there collecting jokes on the trail of the lonesome pond. <laughs> Who's the letter from, McGee? Let me see. Oh, say, can you beat this? It's an answer from Professor Hancock, the handwriting expert. What, already? Why, you only mailed your letter 15 minutes ago. That's wonderful service. It is, isn't it? Mr. Farley must be running for president, too. (laughs) Listen to this, Molly. It says, Dear Client, as the foremost exponent of of graphology... Hey, Molly, what's graphology? Why, that's easy, dearie. Ology means the study of, and graph means zeppelin. Uh Uh-huh. He's got you analyzed as a big gas bag. (laughs) Well, can you imagine this, Molly? I was all wrong. What? I ain't artistic. He says I'm the muscular athletic type. He says I got the same handwriting as all the great wrestlers. Strangler Lewis, Stanislaus Zabisco, and Man Mountain Dean. Huh. Well, you can't make a mountain out of a molehill. I got half a mind to get back in training right away and make some big no, Molly. Well, what do you mean? Sure, make some big dough. Come on, get your hat, Molly. Oh. We're going down to the athletic club. What? One side, everybody. Here comes Mauler McGee. Oh, gee. I wandered today to the hill, Maggie, to watch the scene below. Creaking old mill, Maggie, as we used to long, long ago. The green grove is gone from the hill, Maggie, where first the pretty daisy sprung. Do-do-do-do. The creaking old mill is still, Maggie, since you, you and I were young. And now we are aged and gray, Maggie. The trials of life are nearly done Let us sing of the days that are gone, Maggie When you and I were young Oh, Maggie, my own Oh, Maggie, my own Although they say we are people with age, Maggie And our steps aren't as sprightly as them direct singing when you and I were strong, or when you and I were young, Maggie. <laughs> Guess I got muscles on the brain tonight, Molly. <laughs> well, they'll never get any exercise there. <laughs> I wonder if 5,000 bucks is too much to ask for my first bout. If I can get about... Oh, here's the athletic club, Molly. Come on in. Oh, 
place. What a place. How can these wrestlers train in all this cigar smoke, McGee? That's part of the training, Molly. It'd be silly to train in fresh air and then wrestle in a lot of cigar smoke. <laughs> if there's something you folks wanted, I'm the manager of the joint. Just a professional visit, bud. I'm a wrestler myself. Ever hear of Mauler McGee, the Mad Mastodon of the Mat? Oh, yes. You said you used to be the heavyweight wrestling champion. <laughs> no, I never was, bud. Well, for goodness sake. Hey, Joyky, come here a minute. Here's a wrestler who was never the heavyweight champion. <laughs> Meet up with Mauler McGee and his mom. Well, how do you do, I'm sure. Hi, Jerky. Well, I'm very pleased to make your acquaintance. I'm very pleased to make your acquaintance. Your acquaintance. To make your acquaintance. Hello, folks. <laughs> Are you a wrestler, too, Mr. Jerky? Oh, no. He, he works for Gabby the Grunt. Oh, manager? No, I'm employed in another capacity. In another capacity. I'm not his manager. I'm not his manager. My job is more on the na- in the nature. Say, let's start over, huh? Why, certainly. Now, uh, what do you do for Mr. Gabby the Grunt? I'm his instructor in elocution. I'm his instructor in elocution. Elo- I'm his groaning instructor. Well, there's more to this business than I thought. Have they got somebody else to teach him to make all in faces? Oh, there's nothing artificial. There's nothing artificial. I mean, if you're a boy, if you're born with a count, with a physiognomy, what I mean is wrestlers don't make faces like that. It's faces like that that make wrestlers. <laughs> well, I'm very glad to have made your acquaintance. I'm glad to have made your acquaintance. Oh, I tried that before, didn't I? So long. <laughs> Bruisers, McGee. Do they have to play so rough? Oh, we get used to it, Molly. <clears throat> oh, look, McGee, what's that little girl doing in a place like this? It's me. Oh, hello there, little girl. Hi, pal. <laughs> well, ain't you kind of young to be hanging around a place like this? Why? Why, you ought to be home in bed. I bet you hadn't, I bet you. <laughs> oh, yes, you had. Why, certainly, this is no place for little girls. No, I think we better report this to the juvenile authorities. Gee, I bet you're just the man my papa was talking about, I bet you. Huh? Hmm? Who is your papa? That's the gorilla. Oh. And he's one of the best guys in the racket, too, I bet you. <laughs> oh, he is, huh? <laughs> <laughs> hmm? I says, what do you mean when your papa was talking about me? He don't know me. Madam saw what you call Gee, maybe he didn't mean you. You're kind of bald. Huh? What you mean, sis? Well, me papa told me if anybody made any wisecracks to me, he'd pin the so-and-so's ears back. But your hair's too short, mister. <laughs> well, goodbye now. I gotta go see if full-faced Benny is true with me skipping rope. <laughs> trying to wrestle, will you? Why, I could look any two of them if I was blindfolded and had arthritis. Say, is you's been in the wrestling game long, buddy? Oh, several minutes. Who, me, bud? <laughs> Chucks, I've been a wrestler ever since I was born. Used to take my nursemaid 22 minutes to pin my shoulders down to my crib. Uh, <laughs> you yep. don't say. Yep, I was booked for matches all over the country. Why, when I opened up, the heat was on. <laughs> Book match McGee, I was known as in them days. Oh, dear. 
Book Match McGee, the brawniest, brainiest brawler that ever battled a batch of beetle-browed bozos to a badly battered bunch of bruised bones, blurbed as the biggest box office bonanza of the Biff Bam business, booed by billions of brainless bums from my brutal bombardment of bull-headed boobs, and ballyhooed as the best bicep bulger from Boston where I beat the best to the boulevards of Budapest. <laughs> I think you is just the guy we've been looking for. Gabby the Grunt's been looking for a guy to work out with. Oh, he has, has he? Well, let me in there with that guy. I'll show him some new twists. Here, hold my coat. Oh, now, wait a minute, McGee. After all, you know... McGee! Go on, lady. Let him have his fun. Look at the midget. Look at poor little McGee in the ring with that big bruiser. Looks like a ventriloquist act. Well, I don't know. Not with two dummies. Hey, look at him go, lady. McGee, be careful. Get down off of that man's hand. You better stand aside, lady. He's going to throw him this way. That's too bad, pal. Here comes Gabby the Grunt to apologize, though. Oh, oh, hi, Gabby. Boy, are you strong. You must have been wrestling a long time. No, it's just a hobby. <laughs> I have to keep in trim after sitting at a desk all day long. <laughs> at a desk? Ain't you a professional wrestler? No. Confidentially, I'm Professor John Hancock, the handwriting writing expert. Oh, oh sure. Put another pillow under my back. Oh, all right, dearie. Better let me take your specs, too. What's the matter? They broke? No, I'll put them away until your ears straighten out again. Oh. <laughs> Good night. Good night, all. You're listening to the Old Time Radio Hour on Sid Valley Radio.
story of Dr. Kildare. Whatsoever house I enter, there will I go for the benefit of the sick. Whatsoever things I see or hear concerning the life of men, I will keep silence thereon, counting such things to be held as sacred trusts. I will exercise my art solely for the... The story of Dr. Kildare, starring Lou Ayers and Lionel Barrymore. Metro-Goldwyn-Mayer brought you those famous motion pictures. Now this exciting, heartwarming series is heard on radio. In just a moment, the story of Dr. Kildare. But first, your announcer. Dr. Kildare, starring Lou Ayers as Dr. Kildare and Lionel Barrymore as Dr. Gillespie. Blair General Hospital, one of the great citadels of American medicine. Clump of gray-white buildings planted deep in the heart of New York, a nerve center of medical progress where great minds and skilled hands wage man's everlasting battle against death or disease. Blair General Hospital, where life begins, where life ends, where life goes on. Molly, have you seen Dr. Kildare any place? No, I haven't, Dr. Gillespie. Huh. He doesn't seem to be in the hospital. And he isn't out on an emergency either. I checked that. Wait a minute. I'll bet I know where he is. I'll bet I know just where he is. Uh-huh. I thought I'd find you down here. Oh, hello, Dr. Gillespie. Hey, look at that big crane operator, will you? Isn't that something? Uh, I should say it is. And look at the way those girders are being lifted up, just as though there weren't any... Jimmy Kildare, you have no business down here. You're on duty at the hospital, and no one at the hospital has known where to find you. Well, I just walked down here for a minute to watch. Has anyone wanted me? They certainly have. Who? Me. You? Yes, me. And when I want you, I'm supposed to be able to find you. Yes, Doctor. There goes that crane again. Look at that. You know, as long as I've been at the hospital, no one has had to go looking for me during working hours. And another thing... Well, well, well. Here are my two naughty boys. Uh, oh. Good morning, Dr. Good morning. Drew. Now, where should we be right this minute? Come on, Kildare. I told you that you shouldn't I be... I hope you aren't teaching Dr. Kildare bad habits, Dr. Gillespie. You hope I'm not? Every time a new building has gone up anywhere in the neighborhood, Dr. Kildare, we've had the same trouble with Dr. Gillespie. He's like a big, overgrown boy. Can't keep away. Oh, ah. that's not true. That's ridiculous. I Come never... Come on, now. Back to work. Come on. So you've had this kind of trouble with Dr. Gillespie before, have you? If I hadn't come along just when I did... 
heaven only knows how long he would have stood there. Ah, Pickles. You talk as though I were a delinquent miner. Well, dear fellow, as head of the hospital, I must administer the scoldings as well as the pats on the head when they're needed. Ah. Oh, Dr. Kildare, a patient just arrived for you. I put him in your office. A Mr. Mallory. Oh, thanks, Molly. I'll go right in. Now you stay at work, Dr. Kildare. Don't you let Dr. Gillespie lead you astray any longer. Ah. Oh. I'll do my best to keep Dr. Gillespie from leading me astray, Dr. Yeah. That's a good fellow. Mm. Oh, Mr. Mallory? Yeah, yeah. Oh, I'm Dr. Kildare. Oh, sit down, won't you? Oh, thanks. Well, what seems to be the trouble? Well, uh, I haven't been feeling very good. My wife's been after me to come to a doctor. Mm. Well, tell me about it. Well, uh... I haven't had much appetite. I I get these pains in my stomach. Severe pains? Yeah, pretty bad. When did they start? Oh, about three weeks ago. Have the pains become worse as time passed or remained about the same? They've become worse. My wife kept taking my temperature, but I didn't have any. Uh, then a few days ago, I got this sort of tingling sensation in my wrists and hands. It's mm-hmm. gotten tougher and tougher for me to use them. Oh, is that so? Yeah, I, I've been trying to go right on working, but the day before yesterday, I kept getting dizzy. So I went home. Oh, I, I'm thirsty all the time, too. I see. Well, Mr. Mallory, would you go in the next room over there and then undress? I want to examine you. Yeah, sure. And, and I'd like to have Dr. Gillespie examine you, too. He's a fine diagnostician. Okay, whatever you say. Oh, uh, my wife is sitting out in the waiting room. Would you tell her I'll be a little while yet? Of course. Uh, Mrs. Mallory? Yes. Oh, I'm Dr. Kildare. Your husband's going to be a little while yet, and we're going to examine him. Do you think it's anything serious, Doctor? Well, it's nothing for you to worry about. Uh, tell me, what does your husband do? He's a painter. I see. I wanted him to come to see a doctor before this, but he's so stubborn about things like that. Mm, have you noticed any change in his disposition lately? Oh, I should say I have. He's been constantly irritable and depressed. Mm. Of course, he's been feeling so rotten. Yes, I understand that. The foreman called him in last week and told him he'd been making mistakes that had cost the company money. And, well, if he made any more, they were going to have to let him go. Well, that's because of the way he's been feeling. I won't last. Where has he been working? On the building project across the street. Oh, yes, yes. Oh, Dr. Gillespie, this is Mrs. Mallory. How do you do, Dr. Hello, Mrs. Mallory. Mm-hmm. I wonder if you'd have a look at Mrs. Mallory's husband with me, Dr. Gillespie. I'd, I'd like your opinion. Oh, I'd be glad to. His abdominal pains are localized and relieved by deep pressure. Mr. Mallory, will you open your mouth again, please? Yeah. Oh. You see, there's absolutely no sign of any bluish line around his mouth and gums. Mm, certainly isn't. And, and that's what's astounding. Oh, why, Dr. Gillespie? Well, you have all the other indications of plumbism. But plumbism? Uh, lead poisoning. You say you're a painter, Mr. Mallory? Yeah. Do you always wear a protective mask when you're uh, spraying? Yeah, I do. Hmm. Well, it may not be lead poisoning, of course. Mr. Mallory, suppose you spend the night in the hospital and take some blood tests. Okay. Now, by the way... What's your foreman's name? Uh, Farrell. Sid Farrell. Well, while you're taking the tests, I think I'll have a talk with him. He may be able to help us. Uh, 
Mr. Farrell. I'm Dr. Kildare from Blair General Hospital. This is Dr. Gillespie. Well, how do you do? Well, what can I do for you? We're pretty busy here, as you can see. Oh, we'll keep you but a moment. We have one of your workmen under observation at the hospital. Yeah? Well, what do you want me to do about it? Send him flowers? We wanted the help from you, Mr. Farrell. And unless you want to have a lot more of your workmen out sick, you better give us whatever help you can. All right, all right. Which one of the men is at the hospital? There's a man named uh, Gordon Mallory. <laughs> I might have known. Worst man on the job. Always making mistakes. Well, maybe he had a good reason for his mistakes. Mistakes cost money. We haven't got time to nurse along anyone that can't do his job and do it right. I was going to pay him off at the end of the week anyhow. If a man's ill, it isn't his fault if he don't do a good job. Uh, ill. That big bruiser could make two of most of the men working here. Well, let me tell you something, Mr. Farrell. If Mallory has lead poisoning, which is what we think he has, then it may be your fault he's sick. A foreman's supposed to look out for the health of his men. Look, know. doctor, I'm very busy and I haven't got time to stand around chewing the fat about what my duties are. I know my job. It's to get this building finished. Your job is to take care of sick people. You take care of Mallory, and I'll take care of my business. But don't you see? You should be taking preventive measures of some sort for the protection of your other work. My workmen are all right. Now, if you'll excuse me, I have to get back to work. Hey, watch where you swing that train. Uh, come on, Jimmy. We aren't going to accomplish anything here. I guess you're right. Now, now, what do I see here? I thought we were on our honor to stay at our jobs. We're down here on a case, Carew. One of the workmen's in the hospital. Oh, well, of course, that puts a slightly different face on the matter. Uh, and while we're on the subject, what are you doing down here? Oh, I was just passing by. But... Just passing by. <laughs> I think that whole building project could bear a little investigation. Dr. Kildare, please. Not on hospital time. Now, I'll bet you anything you care to name that before the week is over, we get some more of those workmen in the hospital. Earl doesn't give two cents for the welfare of anyone. I'm afraid you're right. I wonder if Mallory does have lead poison. We should learn that from those blood tests tomorrow. Mm. Doctor, I thought you'd never come. I got so nervous when they phoned and said you wanted me to come over. Oh, sit down, Mrs. Mallory. There's nothing to be upset about. No, no, your husband's going to be all right. Oh, we have found out that your husband does have lead poisoning. Oh? It's a chronic type, which has developed over a long period of time. Can you cure it? Oh, sure. Of course we can. We simply put him through a process of diet and treatment that removes the lead. Diet? Yeah, diet. You see, food with a calcium content helps retain the storage of lead in the bones. So we'll put him on a high phosphorus diet, and that'll help him get rid of it. He'll have the things like meat and liver and potatoes, rice and bananas. Oh, it's not a difficult diet. And then, of course, certain medications. He's going to have to stay in the hospital for three or four weeks, so. Three or four weeks? Yeah, Seems like a long time to you, but it is necessary. Well, it, it's just that financially things have been a little difficult for us. But we'll manage. Huh. Uh, doctor, how did he get it? Haven't been able to figure that out yet. I do believe that the construction company is responsible for your husband's illness, and yet he said he didn't have his mask on all the time, and that should have given him adequate protection. Yes, yeah, a real puzzler, all right. Yes. 
an emergency case in the receiving room, Dr. Kildare. One of the workers from the building project. What happened? I don't know. They said he suddenly was seized with convulsions. He's delirious now. Hmm. Oh, come on. Well, this man has a bluish line along his gum margins, all right. Look at that. Yeah. This is an acute case of lead poisoning, all right. I'll inject magnesium sulfate right away. I have it right here, Doctor. Thank you, Molly. Now, if you'll clean a spot right along this vein. Mm-hmm. That's right. There. Ah, that should quiet him. Now then, I want him to have lavage with 1% sodium sulfate, egg albumin drinks, and calcium gluconate intramuscularly. Yes, Doctor. By the way, what does this man do on a construction job? They said he's a welder. Welder? Mm-hmm. Huh. Doesn't add up. Well, let's go back down to that building project and have another talk with the foreman. And this time, let's inspect the whole place. Got to find out what's happening to those men. And Farrell or no one else is going to stop us. In just a moment, we will return to the story of Dr. Kildare. what you two doctors have got against me. But whatever it is, I haven't got time to play games with you. I'm working against time as it is. We're already behind schedule on this business, and you keep coming down here and interrupting now, me all Now, see the... here, Mr. Farrell, you've got a job to do. Okay, so have we. But two men from this outfit are in the hospital with lead poisoning, and it's our job to find out why. And also to see that more of them don't end up the same way. Watson didn't look too good when I took him on the job. I, I shouldn't have hired him. I can't understand you, Mr. Farrell. Why don't you want to help your man? I haven't got any more time to waste talking, Dr. Whatever your name is. Do you realize that Watson might have died? In fact, he would have died if science hadn't only recently discovered antidotes for poisoning of this sort. Before, in cases like his, when a man had convulsions and delirium, he died within a few days. Watson has this cerebral form of plumism. All right. What do you want me to do about it? They want to inspect the places where both Mallory and Watson work. I'm not going to have you walking around bothering my men. We won't bother anyone. We simply want a chance to observe their working conditions. No, I'm not going to start anything like that. Mr. Farrell, if you don't permit us to inspect this building, we're going to take the case to the State Board of Health and have them inspect. There's nothing going on here that would concern the Board of Health. I'm sorry, but we think there is. All right, all right. Look around if you want to. Hey, Joe. Yeah, Mr. Farrell. Show these two gentlemen over the whole layout, will you? Now, there's the paint shop, Doctor. Oh, this is where Mallory worked, huh? That's right. 
Men are wearing protective masks, all right. Well, I have to. The company wouldn't let a man work without a mask. Oh, lunchtime, huh? Well, for some of the men, it's a rush job. They only take 30 minutes for lunch in shifts. These men eat right here on the spot, do they? Yeah. They don't lose any time that way. Hot down here, isn't it? What are those men doing? They burn the rivet holes. Oh, yes. This is where Watson worked. Huh. How can they sit here and eat in all this heat? Oh, they get used to it. They certainly must. I couldn't take it for very long. Well, come on. Let's get out of here. I didn't come up with much from there, did I? Working conditions seem pretty fair, except for those fast lunches. But eating a fast lunch wouldn't give a man lead poisoning. No, it certainly wouldn't, but something did, and that's what we've got to find out. There's a wide difference between Watson's case and Mallory's. Yes, yes, Watson had lead encephalopathy, caused by excessive exposure to fumes. His case is acute. Mallory's isn't. Mallory wore a mask. Yes, and that mask should have protected him completely. Now, what about Watson? Well, let's go up and see him as soon as we get back. He ought to be improved enough by now to be able to talk to us. Hmm. How do you feel, Mr. Watson? Wow. What hit me? Hmm. Lead. Somebody throw it at me? No. You did this yourself. <laughs> you crazy. You don't think I'd slip myself up, Mickey, do you? Well, you did, son. Pretty hot where you work, isn't it? Yeah, but you you get used to it. How do you feel now? I'm a little unsteady. I, I got the doggondest metallic taste in my mouth. Oh, well, that'll pass. How long you been working on this job? Oh, about a month. Where'd you work before? I just wound up a job in Brooklyn. You did the same sort of work over there, huh? Yeah, yeah. Burned rivet holes. Uh-huh. That was a rush job, too. No kidding. Tell me, what happened to me? Well, I can't tell you. You've had a pretty severe attack of lead poisoning. You see, you were constantly exposed to the fumes of burned red lead. Of course, you were only wearing a welder's hood, and those fumes were what caused your attack. Well, I guess that'll teach me. What happens to me now? Well, you will stay here in the hospital for a short period of treatment. But you'll be all right. Well, we've got a buddy of yours here for the same job. Yeah, I know. Mallory, nice guy. In a day or so, we'll put you both in the same room so you can have someone to talk to. Thanks, I I like that. Now you rest. Take it easy. We'll be back to see you a little later. Oh, here you are. We have another case from the building project. Another case? An emergency? No, this one walked in under his own steam. I put him in your office, Dr. Gillespie. Um, His name's Farrell. Hurts. Oh, pressure hurts, does it? Oh, after you left, I I got hold of a book on lead poisoning and read up on it. It'd be pretty serious at that, can't it? It's a very serious matter, Mr. Farrell. Uh, what are you going to do about me? I don't know. What do you suggest, Dr. Gillespie? I've been turning the matter over in my mind, Dr. Kildare. You'll have to put me through that de-leading process, won't you? 
I don't think that would help in your case. Do you, Dr. Gillespie? No, I'm afraid not, Dr. Gillespie. You you mean nothing can be done to help me? None of the antidotes for lead poisoning will do a thing. (laughs) Why not? Because you don't have lead poisoning. I don't? No. But, But I've got all the symptoms... Acute abdominal pains, weakness, dizziness. Those are also the symptoms of acute indigestion, Mr. Farrell. And that's all that's wrong with you. Acute indigestion? You've got a bellyache, Mr. Farrell. You're sure of that? Positive. Now, put on your clothes. We want to have a little talk with you. Mr. Farrell, fortunately, both of your men are getting well. With a little cooperation from you, I think we can prevent any more of them from becoming sick. If you've been reading about lead poisoning, you know how serious it is. Yes. You know, I must admit I owe both of you doctors an apology. Now, Mr. Mallory has a temporary paralysis in his wrists and hands, but as soon as the de-leading process is completed, he'll be given massage and exercise, and he should recover pretty quickly. Do you know what caused Mallory's illness? It couldn't have been the fumes because he wore a mask. Well, that's right. It was quite a problem Dr. Kildare and myself, but we finally figured it out. Mallory ate his lunch right where he worked. While he was eating, other men were spraying. Over a long period of time, he was exposed to the gradual amounts of fumes and absorbed enough to cause the poisoning. Well, did this just happen on my job? No, no. This happened over a period of about three years. Mallory always ate close to the job. It never occurred to him not to. Well, I'll talk to all the men about it right away. Uh, Watson's case is a little different. He was overcome by the fumes from the burned paint, and his illness is much more serious than Mallory's. Absorbed lead is transferred in the bloodstream and may be found in the liver, the spleen, and uh, the kidneys. It's a great threat to the tissues. We have to force the bones to store the lead in order to prevent damage to the brain tissues. Can you do that? Yes. It's a little complicated to explain, but we can. We'll be able to help both men. Well, what can I do for the protection of my workmen? Well, for one thing, you can see that any men you hire are given a physical to find out whether they've already absorbed any lead in their systems. Because if they have, then you're running the risk of lead poisoning. I see. And you should insist that all your men be examined regularly every three months. Tell them always to drink a lot of milk. Well, I sure will. You know, I never realized my men were in any real danger. I didn't want to baby them, but... Well, I'll watch out for this now. I promise you that. I'm sure you will, Mr. Farrell. And we'll be around to see that you do, Mr. Farrell. Not to check up on you, really, but frankly... We'd like an excuse to come down and watch the work. It's fascinating. <laughs> From now on, you're more than welcome. So long. Yeah, bye. bye. <laughs> well, he turned out to be a pretty good Joe after all, didn't he? He certainly did, after we scared him to death. Come in. Is this a private discussion, or can anybody uh, get in? Anybody can get in, if their name happens to be Molly Bird. <laughs> I've made all the arrangements to have Mr. Watson moved in with Mr. Mallory. Good. And Mrs. Mallory just went up to see her husband. Well, that's fine, Molly, fine. Kildare, have you any more patients to see? Mm, 
not for about an hour. Why? Uh, why don't we go into conference over a checkerboard? Uh, well, you'll be perfectly safe. Dr. Carew won't catch you. What makes you so positive? He's down watching the building project. He's what? Carew down watching the building project? He certainly is. After oh. all the lectures he gave us, well, what do you know? Kildare, why don't we join Dr. Carew? I was just about to suggest that, Dr. Gillespie. Come on, let's see what our leader is doing with that king-sized tinker toy. In just a moment, we will return to the story of Dr. Kildare. Dr. Kildare, starring Lou Ayers as Dr. Kildare and Lionel Barrymore as Dr. Gillespie. Well, Dr. Carew, hey. what a surprise to find you here. Yes, we didn't know you were interested in things like this. Oh, you dear fellows. Uh, well, I, I'm, 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 I'm not really here, you know. You're not really here. Uh, you mean it's not our leader we see, but uh, a mirage? No, I, I mean I'm not really here. Hmm? I'm just passing by on my way to the hospital. That's where I really am. Huh. Oh, on my way to the hospital. Oh, I see. Yes, yes. Well, that makes everything perfectly clear, doesn't it, Dr. Kildare? Now, see here. You boys don't think for a moment that I'd come down here when I should be at the hospital, uh, do you? Oh. Oh, no, 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 indeed. Oh, look at that train go. Isn't that something? It certainly is. Biggest train I've ever seen. That really is something. You know, when I was a boy, I was one, you know. That's the kind of job I wanted to do. Do you know, Dr. Carew, we all did. I think you're right. And it's because of the boy each of us was and still is inside that we're down here right now. You may be right, Dr. Gillespie. Oh, he is right. That's exactly the right diagnosis, Doctor. Exactly the right diagnosis. <laughs> You have just heard the story of Dr. Kildare, starring Lou Ayers and Lionel Barrymore. This program was written by Gene Holloway and directed by William P. Russo. Original music was composed and conducted by Walter Schumann. Supporting cast included Eleanor Audley, Ted Osborne, Dick Simmons, Tony Barrett, Jack Petruzzi, and Lillian Baev. Dick Joy speaking. <laughs>
The Old Time Radio Hour will be back next Sunday, at 4 o'clock. We hope you can join us, here on Sid Valley Radio. Thank you.